I want to know what is some of y'all's favorite vending machine snacks. Like, if you come to a vending machine, Davis already knows. What's your favorite vending machine snack? A drink, sure, yeah. Water. They give that out of the fountain, too. Free. I don't want to ruin it for you, but... Yes, you're allowed to make a comment. Diet. Okay, so uh, diet stuff there. Yes, favorite vending. Welsh's gummies. Okay. Talkies. What the talkies? No, I'm not kidding. What the talkies? You're gonna buy me some. Where do they like? They're spicy gummies? Chips. Talkies. Is that the yellow bag? Am I thinking of onions? Yeah, gross. Alright, what else? There's something else in hand. Vending machine sack. Yes. Coca-Cola. Just a Coke. Red and Coke. No vanilla, no cherry, just a Coke. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. Oh, you have more. Yeah. Like the Amos, Amos, Amos cookies? Okay. Yes. Mountain Dew. Code red or just? Code red? Okay. Yes. Ice cream. In a vending machine. Like an ice box. Okay. Yes. Moon pies. Yes. Great answer. Just a pretzel. Just a hanging pretzel. Yes. No. <laughs> what? Dr. Pepper. Regular Dr. Pepper? Is it diet or regular? Diet Dr. Pepper? Regular. Regular Dr. Pepper. Yes. So good. That's a good one. I like the pretzel ones. Peanut M&M's is different than peanut butter M&M's. So, there's a lot of great uh, vending machine snacks. I, uh, before my stomach decided to hate me, would love to get a honey bun. I'm not sure there's some honey bun fans out there. It's probably the worst thing you can put into your body. Oh, yeah. Maybe that and a Twinkie. Twinkie's probably up there with whatever those things are made with. Um, and I really do like Dr. Pepper, but my favorite soda out of the machine is vanilla Coke. I, I love vanilla Coke. It's got like 78 grams of sugar, but it's okay. That's like two days worth of sugar in one drink. Um, but I don't know if y'all have ever been through the airport, but they also have vending machines in the airport that don't give out snacks. They literally give out technology in their vending machines, okay? You walk up to these things and you can literally be like, I want an iPhone. And it would give you an iPhone or it would give you a set of headphones or, yeah, these are real things. And, uh, and I think they have probably, like, apparently they have an ice cream vending machine. I've never seen one of those before. They have vending machines for everything, right? Now, what's the, what's the beauty of a vending machine? Is you get it fast, right? And you get options, right? It's not like you're walking up to the, well, some of y'all sounds like maybe not if you go to Alliance. But if you walk up to the vending machine, you get options. You're like, I have five rows of stuff I can choose from. And you know what happens to me sometimes when I walk up to a vending machine? I don't want any of this. I don't want any of this. What, what is all this, right? 
And you start to think, you know, if they could just have Swedish fish and they got rid of these talkies and they traded them for Swedish fish, this would be a better vending machine, right? Or if they could trade them for Sour Patch Kids, that would be a positive, positive. Um, from Famous Amos Cookies, aren't, aren't really cookies. They're like some kind of weird cracker. Um, so all these choices, they're at our fingertips. And I point this out just because what we're going to read here in Acts 17 is talking about contentment. And sometimes that we have so much around us that gives us the thought that we can just demand something that should be given to us. And we're going to see the Israelites tonight try to do that to God. And so I think about this with vending machines that like we have been literally given machines that are supposed to try to fulfill everything we would possibly want in a snack. So it's not like, hey, you can only get an apple. No, you can literally have 50 different snacks or 10 different bottles of soda or water or Powerade, right? It's not just one thing. So with that in mind, I want us to read. So Exodus 17, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to read. This is a short passage. So it's just 1 through 7. And it says this. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, unless someone else has a better saying for that. Um, But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. These people are thirsty. They're about to throw stones at a man. Uh, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, And take in your hand the staff. We know the staff, right? The staff has been throughout the book of Exodus. Take that same staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you will and you shall strike the rock and the rock or or, sorry and water will come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So there's four different steps that I want us to see here. I want us to first see the crisis. What is happening? And then I want us to see what are the complaints? Then I want you to see that this is actually a court-like scene that's happening. And you're going to see elements of that as we pick apart the story. And then the last thing is I want you to see the verdict of that court scene. So the first thing is breaking down the crisis. What is going on? Well, it should be pretty obvious. What is wrong in this story right now? Yes. They're dehydrated and they, when you're dehydrated, you want what? Water, right? You probably don't want a Dr. Pepper. Maybe you do. That's the wrong option. I'll just tell you right now. You want water when you're 
dehydrated. And these people are in the desert. I don't know if any of y'all have ever spent time in the desert. But when you start spending time in the desert, you start getting thirsty. And that dry heat starts beating down on you. And you are so thirsty. That's where these people are. They are so thirsty for water. The Israelites, though, what do they do? Their first response isn't like, we should sit and pray and ask the Lord to provide. No. What do they say? Go and look at it. uh, Verse 2. Yeah. They give us water. What? Hold on. Stop for a second. Are you demanding that God gives you water? And what they're not understanding in this moment is that this isn't the first time that they've come to a place of grumbling and complaining. Right? We know this as we've read the book of Exodus. This is actually the fourth time that we see them come to a place of grumbling and complaining because they don't think the Lord is providing for them, protecting them, or is with them. Can y'all name the other three moments? Yes. Okay, just stop one. All right, so manna, right? This past Sunday, maybe you weren't here, maybe you were. We talked about a story of manna that the people were hungry, and so what did the Lord do? He gave them bread from heaven that tasted like honey. Imagine bread from heaven just appearing on the ground when you woke up in the morning. They got that every single morning. Bread was just on the ground. And the Lord fed them with bread in the morning, and he fed them with, do you all remember it? What at night? Hold on. Yeah? Quail at night, right? So he, he even gave them meat to eat at night, and he provided for them. Okay, what were the other two things? Do you all remember? Just one one. One of them has to do with water again. Yeah? Okay, the water was better. Yeah? So uh, Moses throws a uh, log into the water, and the water turns from bitter to sweet. And they're able to drink it. And then the last one, there's really two more, but the last one when they've exited Egypt is what? Yeah. Yeah, they parted the Red Sea. They were sitting dead. Israel, or not Israel, Egyptian army coming down the hill was going to slaughter them. They're stuck between two mountains and a sea, and there's nowhere to go. And what does God do? He tells Moses, take your staff, go out to the water and hold it up. And the waters part and they walk through on dry ground. And the second they are through, as the Egyptian army comes through the same area, those waters crash in and all the Egyptians were destroyed. Okay, the Israelites have seen all these moments. And yet... Their response in this moment is not, the Lord will provide. Their response is complaining, grumbling, because we don't think the Lord's going to provide. We don't think he's going to protect us. We're not even sure that he's with us anymore. And we know, leading up to this moment, and as they go through the wilderness, they are led by two different pillars. Do you all remember what the pillars are? Yes. Cloud and fire. Cloud by day, fire by night. The actual presence of God is leading them through. And they're still not sure if the Lord will provide for them. And we know that from their response, right? So our crisis in this moment is this is the fourth time that they've needed provision. 
the fourth time, surely they're going to get it right, finally. That they're going to make the right choice and pause and think, hold on. The Lord will provide. No. They start complaining and they start grumbling and they don't remember what's happened for them. Their circumstances dictated their response, not the God of their circumstances. Say that again. Their circumstances dictated their response, not the God of their circumstances. So in the midst of the circumstances, that's what they saw and that's all they thought about. They didn't remember that they had a God who was over all circumstances. He is sovereign. He is all powerful. And he has called you his people. And therefore he will provide for his people. He will protect his people. And he will not leave them. And he's promised that over and over. And not only has he promised that. But they have wavered from that. And the Lord has been Faithful to his promise every time for his people. That he has saved them. He has provided for them. He has protected them. And again, we get a situation here where their first response is grumbling. When the text said, says they quarreled with him. So in verse 2 through 3. So if you look at that, verse 2 through 3, it says, um, the text says that they quarreled with him. Now, the word quarrel here is, just to clarify, it's not like a playful like fight. This is like hostility. And we know this how. What, do they, what does it say that the people were about to do to Moses? Stone him. Okay? So we're about to have a man's life at stake because people are thirsty. This isn't just like people are like, oh yeah, Moses, like, could you get us some water soon? Like, we're kind of thirsty. No, like these people are hostile to what their situation is. But what were the Israelites really angry about? I think if we read this story, we would maybe just think, oh, they're just angry because they need water. And they are. That's true. But really what they're angry about is, I'm not content with the situation and circumstances that I'm in. What I'm really upset about is God has promised to provide and I'm not seeing that provision in the way that I want to see it. What they're really upset about is God told us that we're his people and yet he's brought us to this place where we're having to be tested and to suffer. Those things don't line up for me. Those things don't connect with a God that I thought is all powerful and yet... He's brought us to a place where we're thirsty and we are having to be tested. They were facing discontentment in their heart. They weren't content with what God had already done for them over and over and over and knowing that they have everything they need in this moment. While yes, it's hard and yes, they are thirsty and yes, they are being tested. All they needed to do was to sit and pray and ask, not demand, but sit and pray and ask. The Lord will provide water for them. So we cannot complain to God about our doubts, struggles, and difficulties. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that you can't demand or refuse the will of God or faith in God. I'm not saying that you can't bring what's hard, what you're struggling with, what your difficulties are in life to God. 
We're going to be in seasons of our life all the time where we are not on the same page, where we are struggling, and I have to bring that to God. But there is a difference in bringing that heart to God and the posture of my heart than coming to him and demanding that he do something. Demanding that he respond to my needs, my desires. That's That's a different heart posture coming to the Lord. So the next thing that we want to look at is the complaint. So we, we see three different complaints here. The first one is in 17.2. So look at verse 2. Verse 17.2 says, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? So the first complaint is, Give us water to drink. And the sin here in the complaint is what we just talked about, that they're demanding God's provision. They're demanding that God change their circumstances. Now, here's the question is, how do we do this? So jumping from the Israelites to us. How can we often do this? I'll tell you how I do this in my life. If a day or a week or a situation is not going well, I'll start making demands that like, God, what are you doing? Can't you just fix this? Like, why would you not fix this? Or why would you not give me that? I've done my Bible reading for the last two weeks. Like, I've been a really good Christian. You need to now give me what I want. And what do we miss in those moments? Is that we are demanding from God out of a heart that becomes God. That God is now our vending machine. No, no, no. You don't understand. I know that's what you want to give me. That's not what I want. I want you to give me something else. And we start demanding God's provision in situations. The second complaint is in verse 3. Verse 3 says, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? One, this is the, I think, third or fourth time, literally, this kind of statement is made by the people of Israel. We heard this when they made bricks. We heard this when they were at the Red Sea. We heard this in the manna situation. And we heard this now as they want water. That they've gone to dire straits, sometimes wanting to go back to Egypt, sometimes just thinking like, God, you have chosen to punish us, obviously. The people assumed the worst of God. And they made him out to be a villain or some kind of angry, revengeful God. And they forgot that this is the God that has protected them. And sometimes protection comes in different ways than what we want it to come in. Sometimes provision comes in different ways than we want it to come in. But they could never doubt for a moment that God didn't protect them. We know that through the whole book of Exodus so far. Tell me a moment where God didn't show up and protect his people. He did over and over and over again. The third complaint is in verse 7. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah. 
Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Third complaint, is the Lord among us or not? This complaint has to do with presence. So we talked about provision, we talked about protection, and this complaint has to do with, is God even with us? Are you even here? Are you even present? Because if I look around at my circumstances, it doesn't look like you're that present. Now realize in this moment, there's so much that they're missing because they are super uber focused on their thirst. The pillar of cloud and fire is still there. God still split the Red Sea about three weeks ago. He just gave them manna on the ground. They don't see any of that. They don't see that God has been present with them the whole time because they're so focused on being thirsty. And they start to actually ask the question, where are you? Where are you? You ever ask that question? In your own life? A lot of people talk about God, but like I'm not seeing him in my immediate situations. I'm not seeing him show up. I'm kind of asking, where are you? The Israelites were asking the same thing. It was the complaint that, God, you're not present. They equated having provision, they demanded, with the presence of God. And we do this too. I'll know that God is here once he honors my demands and gives me what I want. That's when I'll know you're here, God. Not because you've told me so. Not because you've given me the Holy Spirit to live in my heart. That you are literally dwelling inside of me. Not because you have sent Jesus. Not because the fellow believers around me. No, no. Only when you answer my provision the way I want you to answer it. In that moment, I will know that you are here. Are you really there, God? Because I'm not seeing you blessing me much right now. I want to ask one last time, what has God done for them up until this moment? Starting in Exodus 1. Go ahead, just yell it out. What has God done for them up until this moment? Part of the Red Sea, protected them. He heard their cries in distress. He heard their cries in distress. Gave them food. He sent Moses. Brought them out of Egypt. Slavery. What else? Spared them from certain plagues. What else? Anything else? It's good. And they've forgotten all of that in this moment. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pause for a second. And if you, if you have notes or a piece of paper, this would be most helpful with a piece of paper. But if you don't, I guess take your phone and use that. But here's the deal. I want you to start making a list for yourself. And here's the categories I want you to start to list. 
These are ways God has met your need. Food and shelter. So list out ways that God has met your need for food and shelter. For your school and for your play. For friendship. Sparing us from physical danger. Consequences of your own folly or your own disobedience. Do you say that? And then seasons where he was intimately close to you and you could feel that. So take those categories. I want you to start writing down things. How's God showed up in those ways for you? And provided or protected or been present. Okay, I want you, I know you can probably keep going. I want you to lift your list. And this was only in three minutes, four minutes. These are the kind of lists that I want you to keep coming back to. Because we, like the Israelites, when we have an immediate circumstance, we don't see these things. We don't see the things that God has done for us currently and in the past. And that doesn't mean that the situations that we take on presently aren't hard. What the Israelites were going through was hard. We're talking about walking through the desert with a million, two million people and having to deal with moving your tent over and over and over again. Not having enough water, not having... These are hard things. Which makes it even harder to get our eyes up off of our circumstance and get them on the things that God has done for us. So the last two things we want to see is this court-like situation that's happening here. So if you look at uh, verse number two... Right in the middle of it says, And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? That word test here, you could put trial there. Why do you put the Lord to trial? And it says, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So they've made their accusation. We're in the courtroom. They have brought God to trial, and they are telling him, This is what we think. We think that you have brought us out here to just be thirsty and to die. And we know this because what's happening here as the story continues to unfold, we see. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Stoning was a action of a capital offense. It was the death penalty in their day. And they have, in small way, put a trial together and decided that someone has to die for what they've done wrong. And they think Moses, because he speaks for God, they're not actually, they're mad at Moses, but they're really upset with God. But they're going to take it out on Moses, his mouthpiece. 
is the leader, the person he's chosen. So the verdict comes, though. Israel has put God to trial, and God goes ahead and gives them what they desire. This should be a shocking moment. When you take God to trial, you shouldn't be the one that comes out on top here. When you take God and you choose to say, I'm taking you to trial because you have not come through on what you said you would. You aren't typically the one that comes away with the benefit. So we're talking about God here and we're talking about us. But as this trial unfolds, Israel actually gets what they desire and God gives them water. He submits himself to judgment, not their judgment, but his own. I'm going to take the judgment on to me myself. So look at verses five through seven. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and shall strike the rock and the rock shall and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. God takes the judgment in the place of Moses by standing on the rock and being struck by the rod. I want you to see this about the rock situation here. God says that he is going to stand on the rock. And as I stand on the rock, I want you to take your rod and to strike the rock that I stand on. And it's important to see this moment because what we're going to see here in a second is this is a picture of what Christ will do one day. As God stands on the rock, he says, no, I'm actually, you guys, us, the Israelites, deserve judgment. And instead of you being judged, I'm going to stand on the rock and take my own judgment that you deserve. And as he stands on the rock, Moses takes the staff and he smacks that rock. And out from that rock flows water. Like a river in the desert. The other crazy part of this moment, which is so cool in the context that they would have known that we have a hard time seeing, is Horeb, the place that this is happening. Does anyone know where we know that word from? The burning bush. The burning bush happened at Horeb. And the promise of the burning bush to Moses was what? I will be with you. God delivers on his promise to Moses all the way back at the burning bush. And he's with him. And and what does he do? He takes Moses' place and stands on the rock so that Moses doesn't get stoned, but that he stands on the rock and gets struck by the rod so that water would come out. This was the first place that God appeared to Moses at the burning bush and promised that he will be with him. As he goes and the rock is struck and water like a river comes out of it. And what does that water prove? It proves the three things that we have heard complaints about this whole time. That water proves that he will provide for their thirst. The water proves that putting himself to judgment will protect them. And it promises that. His presence was there because he was the one standing on the rock. Christ is 
our rock. Christ is our rock. If you miss anything else tonight, I want you to hear this. Christ is our rock because these three things that we just talked about are ours to gain as Christ was struck on the cross. We deserve the judgment that he took on the cross the same way the Israelites deserved judgment. We deserved it. And God said, I'm going to take it. And he put his son on the cross to take the judgment. And he was struck. And the cool part is in John, in John 19, 34, it says this. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced the side with the spear, and at once there came out blood and water. This was the fulfillment of the rock that was struck. Blood to cover the sins and water to tell them that I will be the one that gives you life. Out of Christ, our rock flowed water, showing that he will provide for us in Jesus. He will protect us from judgment in Jesus. And he will always be with us in Jesus as he sends the Holy Spirit to constantly be you and I's dwelling, indwelling companion. He covers all three of these things. Like the Israelites, we receive eternal and ultimate provision, protection, and presence through Christ. Our rock being struck in our greatest place of need. Has God proved himself to you? Has God proved himself to you enough? Do you believe that he has given you those three things? And have you put faith that he is the only one that will give you those three things and is faithful and able to do so? What do you think about that? Do you put faith in Christ for those things? Has God proved himself enough to you? Or you're like, nah, I don't know yet. Not sure. Not really that convincing. Okay, that's okay. What I'm telling you tonight is if you are sitting there thinking, I have never realized the extent to what Christ has done for me. Your response, unlike the Israelites, should be faith. Not grumbling. And put your faith in Christ who took your punishment and who has provided you eternal life. Life in relationship with God himself. Life to the full, as John tells us. And has been promised to be with you now and forever. The person that you were created to be with most has made a way for you to be with them. All you got to do is put faith in what he has done. 
you haven't done that, please, please do not wait. It's worth it. If you have more questions, please ask me or ask Tori or ask your parents. Don't just sit on this. It's not worth it to sit on. Enjoy what's been given for you.